Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ethics in football, we dug ourselves a hole. Is it right or wrong to smash a player's skull? Hey, no easy answers, but there's one thing I know. Now it's time to play that banjo. Football's our favorite, but won't you please take note? We see it's got some problems, we're all in the same boat. Reckoning with football's past, I reckon you better paddle fast. Boys, I think I hear that banjo. Welcome to Banjo College Football, the world's most ethical college football podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Paul, joined as always by my two co-hosts, Brian Scott Rippey and Andrew Stevens. Uh, fellas, it's the day after um, early National Signing Day. How are we feeling? Fuck Squadcast. This thing's annoying me. I'm 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 not in the mood to podcast. I need to be I need to be wooed to podcast now, and I'm not I'm not I'm feeling reluctant. Um, but I'm here. It's 9 p.m. on a Thursday. I got nothing better to do. How are you, Rippy? Good. This was my first signing day where my primary paycheck did not depend on like being locked into it. And I got to say, there's quite a few things I miss about like reporting and kind of not having a real job for a living and getting to t- cover sports. That day is not one of them. That is one of I, I will contend as a sports reporter in the small gripes they have. That's one of the worst days uh, on the calendar, particularly if you're not a recruiting site. So I very much enjoyed yesterday. I I detailed this to KP after I missed uh, what appeared to be 475 text messages or Twitter messages um, in a in a group DM yesterday, but I. After covering recruiting somewhat as like a job, I'm so burnt out on it. I don't like I I don't really know um, if I'll ever get back into caring about it. But like apparently Georgia was like there were five stars that they could have signed yesterday. I I I I have the last like three classes. It's been hard for me to do anything other than like all right. Once they step on campus, I'll start caring. Yeah, I uh, I used to follow recruiting pretty closely when I was in high school, as I'm sure you know, a lot of us did. Um, once I got to college, I kind of tapered off, really, especially once I graduated. So now I kind of pay attention when everyone commits, like over the summer, and then I don't look at anything again until like three days before signing day. And now with the early signing period, I literally just don't have anything to look forward to in February now. So that's it. You hit the nail on the head at least from my vantage point on that last part is like now that they've split it up into where, yeah, most dudes sign early, but you still have this other crop of guys in February. It doesn't have like the national holiday type feel. It did like circa 2013. Yeah. I I think that that's completely uh, when, when it happened for me, because that was right. That was the season after that, that I had stopped covering the team and I was, it, it, it really just diffuses like it was fun to kind of sit down and I mean, in the olden days, either skip school or fucking, I don't know, try and miss class and sit on the computer in the library or something and and watch the commits come in. But no, now I, th- there's and, and I, the problem is like, I, well, actually, I'm not going to say the problem because I think it's a good thing. Um, but there's like the the democratization of a lot of these kids commitments to where they're going to commit on their social media that or, or like they kind of hold the keys um, as opposed to like a lot of reporters used to just kind of 
like they didn't dictate where the kids would go, obviously, but like they dictated the flow of how it was reported and and how it was broken just because they were the media outlets. And so now that a kid can just post his his commit via video on Instagram, like it, it does kind of change that a little bit, too. Kids have also gotten smarter since like, I feel like even like Twitter and social media was a little bit different back in 2012, 2013. Everyone was still kind of get the hang of it. I think these kids are smarter and you talk about the guys that cover it and stuff, how to play both social media and the dudes that covered this stuff and be a little more coy where back then it was kind of like them telling guys information that they trust for no reason and probably shouldn't. Yeah, there, there really used to be not long ago, literally five years ago, there's an entire economy over like just knowing high school kids very, very well. And now it's just like, I don't tell anyone anything. I can just release like four different videos of the course of my recruitment and not talk to any reporters. And you guys can figure it out, you know, amongst yourselves. No interviews, please. But no, yeah, that, that <laughs> I wouldn't want to talk to, I wouldn't like, I was 20, what, 22 covering like recruits, like 17 year olds and whatnot. And I still found like, I found it kind of weird at that time. And I was very creeped out by like the 35 and the 40 and the 50 year olds that cared about it way more than I did. And obviously there's like a self-preservation aspect of it. Like you have to care about it if this is your full-time job, but like, man, it's a kind of a creepy full-time job. Oh, dude, uh, you want to hear a blast from the past? That just reminded me. Do you remember – y'all remember Harbaugh's satellite camps day when he first got to Michigan and just wanted to piss as many people off as possible? Yes. Well, yeah, I- did, did that accomplish anything before you go – It got Saban real mad. Oh, it got him so pissed. So he had one in Pearl, Mississippi, which is like 15 minutes outside of Jackson, and I was an intern at the Gannett newspaper, uh, Mississippi Statewide newspaper, and I had to go with the recruiting guy, a great guy, now covers the Brewers for the athletic, great dude, was in the same boat as I did, hated recruiting, but was much better at covering than I was. We had to go stand in 100-degree heat on a turf field and watch Harbaugh run around in khakis and an Archie Manning jersey in the middle of July. And he didn't even stay the whole time. He started up the camp, went through drills for 45 minutes, and then got on his plane to his next one in Pennsylvania with two hours left in the camp. It was literally an offer show. What a lot of people did not realize about the satellite camps was that like Michigan and you know these other big programs, like not Stanford because David Shaw doesn't think um, people from the South can get into Stanford, um, but these coaches, they would – they were never the hosts of the satellite camps. Like you said, there would be some small, like D- I, th- I think how mummy school, which was like D three somewhere in Louisiana hosted a satellite camp that Ed Orgeron and Les Mouth came to. That's yeah. Cause they're, they're all regional. I mean, like they all bring in like, like Kirby goes and does camps in Alabama right now. And it's at some, yeah. I, I mean, that South Alabama hosts something so Kirby can go and like spend the night on the floor of some kid from Mobile that he's trying to sign. <laughs> this is all bringing up all kinds of weird blasts from the past. KP, how mummy school, downtown Jackson, right by my neighborhood, Bellhaven. He yeah, uh, Bellhaven, correct. <laughs> I had to write a, uh, I, the, my last assignment at that internship was to write team previews for all these small schools. So you're talking Millsaps, Mississippi College, Bellhaven. Well, how mummy returned my call at like one o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. and was just wanting to chat it up about the Blazers at that hour. And I like called my editor and I was like, does he always do that? And he was like, yeah, he's a legend in his own mind. And then just, that was the end of the conversation. I, uh, I, Bellhaven, I believe, is where, uh, this is a Baton Rouge throwback. I believe that is where former LSU head basketball coach John Brady, uh, went to college. It was also the site of where a bunch of evangelical Christians tried to get a 14 year old Andrew Stevens to commit his life to Christ under the guise of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, so a lot of things happening at the uh, the Bellhaven College. There would not have been a more Dixie beautiful downtown Jackson. No, Dixie was in Dixie was in Summit, Mississippi, but this was an FCA camp that Dale Weiner made me go to. Um, I'm pretty sure not happy. Dixie was also. I'm pretty sure Dixie was also FCA's burner account. <laughs> 
but you know. <laughs> yeah, there's there 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 had to ba- basketball evangelicalism. All right. So I, I do since we are you know really in the recruiting season basically, and you guys both covered it um, you know for a living. I do want to ask both of you, what's the craziest recruiting story that you're allowed to talk about um, right now that you were that you were just even aware of in your jobs? Oh, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm allowed to. Uh, I've told you all this before, but um, I went to cover Demetrius Robertson's commit, um, the Georgia wide receiver, the five star from Savannah, and I was driving up with my boss and got a call that uh, essentially from, uh, I guess I'll leave this out from Georgia's. Um, I guess if you pay attention to Georgia football, the the I, I get I think Bagman is kind of overused, but uh, a a wheel greaser, if you will, um, mm. essentially called and said that Robertson things had been taken care of to get Demetrius Robertson to Georgia, um, and then. He obviously went up there and committed to Cal. Um, and then I got a quote that was, uh, I'll, I guess I will remember uh, aptly throughout college football and, and sort of the way things happen were, uh, if you're going to play the money game, you can't be afraid to get outbid. And so um, now Robertson eventually transferred back to Georgia. I think he's still there, so I guess this could incriminate him, but no one listens to this podcast, so it doesn't really matter. Um, so, yeah, I guess that is the most uh, that is the most uh, salacious story that I can detail from covering recruiting. Uh, I text Greg Sankey every day. Um, this is going right in his this is going right in his inbox, Andrew. <laughs> I, again, once again, email compliance at. Hope it was worth it, Drew. I don't have one that's like really like backwoods crazy. I would say that I the, easily the craziest ones I heard were former Brookhaven High School linebacker Leo Lewis, who obviously now mm. famous for one. He, you could write a book on his recruitment even without the stuff that happened afterward. And then obviously he Ole Miss commit uh, signs with State. A lot of money changing hands, really played the game about as well as you can play it. Dan Mullen then sells him out and basically, uh, I wouldn't say makes him, but pretty much makes him go talk to NCAA investigators about what Ole Miss did in the recruiting process while he was playing football for Starkville, but was given immunity on that. That was all like, you know, above the fray stuff. You'd hear like minor wild details about things that happened in the last 72 hours of that recruitment that would really blow your mind. I'll give you a recruiting writer one. And Andrew actually had to cover recruiting like for a site that like that's kind of their thing. Like I never luckily really had to like cover it deeply. I was more at like newspapers and you know other booming media outlets where you pretend <laughs> to cover it like for two weeks out of the year and then the rest of the time you can just get away with not really knowing. But I was at one of these camps and a recruiting guy, I'd heard it was like and, a violation to go talk to these kids. Like you, there were certain, like you couldn't really go interview them or do anything. And so somebody, and I was just standing there amongst a group of guys that cover this. And you know, the guys who like cover it full time, full time, or have a little bit of uh, similar personality traits in a lot of ways to put it diplomatically. And someone in the back, like of the group we were standing by goes, can we talk to them when they're done with this? And one dude, 100% ironically, with the straight face, without like, like unironically, who's not trying to be funny, goes, No, but you can catch them when they go to the bathroom. <laughs> Rip, I think you did tell me this story. Uh, I was like, Wait a minute. What? I mean, they're like the the nature of just covering college football recruiting lends like it, it self selects to have people that I guess don't one hundred percent like understand social norms, but there really is it, when when you deal with the people that do it full time and they like fly around to camps and stuff, and like the only thing that they're doing is kind of like observing college or like high school athlete like 15 to 17 year old athletes like they talk very uh like 
cattle show like it, it it it's very it's very uncomfortable to talk to them because the only thing that they operate like their work talk and their like small talk is like talking about like 16 year olds is like bronking bucks and blue chips and like like i don't know it's just kind of it's fucking weird man uh, i i oh sorry going rip I was just gonna add in some ways it's not their fault. Their primary job is to get inside the headspace of a seventeen year old kid. Like how can you not be creepy and do and be good at that? Yeah, so what do you yeah, I'm about to say, you you like you gotta be on you got you have to have a social media diet that looks fucking insane, right? Like it, like like at, at some point you have to be like following what seven like high schoolers are following. In some capacity, that like that has to be mind numbing to consume on a daily basis. No, I think the, I think the best guys at this they get their grandkids to just like follow all the recruits and just like follow all the trends and whatnot. And then on the you know during the one unofficial visit day over the summer when the handshakes happen, they know what to talk about. That's it. I don't. I I doubt there are sixty five year old men that actually know a lot about NBA young boy, right? But they can definitely talk about him for 25 seconds um, on an OV <laughs> or like at a or like at a camp if it comes to that. Hey, Griffin just walked in. You want to get some official thoughts on the podcast about how National Signing Day and recruiting is weird? I will leave this podcast forever if Griffin's voice ever uh, gets on it. So, Rippy, I, I do want to say you mentioned how Leo Lewis played the game as well as anyone's ever played it. I'm I'm sort of 50-50 on that because on one hand, yes, he did play the game very well. But on the other hand, did he actually play a game at all? It sounds like he was just kind of vibing. Like he, did, he didn't really have many thoughts. He was just like, oh, cool, 50K from you. Yes, he, thank you. So if you want to equate it to something, it's like the – it's like the I would put it as the kid that well, this is probably not a perfect example because I don't really genuinely believe Leo Lewis knew exactly where he was going the whole time. But it was almost like a kid going through like fraternity rush or something that is his entire goal is to just take as much free shit given to him as possible. So like is there a way to play the game and get as much money from as many different hands as you possibly can without actually having a smart strategy? Yes, and I think that's probably what happened there because in the kid's defense, you know, he had a he had a, a father that was incarcerated, if I'm not mistaken, at the time and may very well still be, and just kind of a I mean this is not uncommon for you know a lot of these recruiting stories, but not a ton of guidance in that sense. And I think trusted some of the wrong people. And you know, initially it worked out for him, but in the end, it's kind of a sad story because he got sold out by the one guy whose job's to protect him more so than anything else. And now that guy at Florida, that guy is at Florida talking about how chucking cleats down the field is a football move. Shocker, not a great guy. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is another uh, really telling mark in the Dan Mullen is very, very uh, morally unredeemable human being category. Um but no, I, I think that there should be like, if we're going to operate and I, I understand that they do get paid to just make it on campus, but like, if we are going to operate in this system, uh, like the, the continued system where they're not actually going to end up paying these kids, we really need to move towards like, it costs money to just get them on campus. Like if they can only take five official visits, it real like, I know you do, you have like the hundred dollar handshakes and you have like money. Like I, I, I know that, or talking to guys that like there will be a couple hundred bucks that get exchanged on, on official visits and whatnot. And if you come back more regularly, that, that will obviously happen. But like there needs to start being like real bags dropped to get kids on campus. And then like even larger ones that are like, like there's generally kind of a standard that's established like in college basketball. I think the standard was, was a 50 K and an escalade. I mean, I think everybody at Bama sees the cars that uh, there's certain dealerships that are hooked up and whatnot. And I, I know that there is, um, at least like five figure monetary deals happening for a lot of these big kids, but like, I feel like we need to pump these numbers up if we're actually going to, I, I don't know, not pay the kids like above board at any time. 
And it actually gets compounded when you have coaches like Dabo Swinney, who literally will not accept a kid's commitment if he doesn't take an unofficial Clemson. So he it is it is imperative for Dabo Swinney that the kid pays their own way to visit Clemson to visit Clemson, South Carolina, uh, on their own dime, um, because he he knows then that they really want to play for Clemson that badly. He also he y'all Jerry and Ely Ole Miss's five star running back that was, for a while was a first round draft pick and most people didn't think he'd ever actually show up to any college football program. Uh, was a long time Ole Miss commit decommitted and recommitted like to, within a span of two weeks. And then to come to find out, it's like what the hell's going on with this kid? It was because he wanted to go see Clemson because he thought Howard's Rock and all that was cool. And Dabo won't let you take a visit if you're committed elsewhere. <laughs> Dude, I want Dabo to get low-grade cancer. Fuck that guy. This is why, among many reasons, uh, that's one reason why I don't want Dabo to ever come to Bama. Because it's like, can you imagine Nick Saban just saying, oh, you're committed elsewhere? Mm, Sorry. Can't can't pay for your visit here. Looks like we're never going to ever see you again. And look, it's worked out for for Clemson, but that's just bad practice, man. That's just – and it's like I, I call this a problem, obviously, because of just in terms of like what I believe. But there are so many like he's always going to be able to be successful because he can take like the dumb all shucks fucking evangelical Christian shtick, and it will work in enough places around the South to maintain relevance. Now that he has already like amassed the uh, inertia that he is like amassed at Clemson already like the machine is already rolling and so like there there, there isn't anything that is going to in uh, unless the low-grade cancer that I just prayed for um comes about I don't see anything that ends up stopping this he's Bobby Bowden <laughs> he's, he's yeah, Bobby really Bowden sucks. it really sucks. Bobby Bowden was so cool though and like so speaking the, of yeah but yeah and speaking of like the whole like if we're not like let's at least like pay them to get to campus if we're not going to pay them above above ground anytime soon the other like other extreme of this aside from recruiting is something I found myself like dug into today I don't ever I rarely do this but I was bored as shit and didn't have anything going on at work I dipped into kid skips last game slash bowl game of the season and is now a quitter because Ole Miss had Elijah Moore and Kenny Yaboa, not shockingly, on the cusp on you know a day after Mel Kiper ranks Elijah Moore's his twenty third ranked prospect, whatever he doesn't want to go down and play in Baton Rouge in front of an empty stadium for the first time in three weeks, and I I dabbled into this kid's a quitter and quit on his team Twitter, which was a huge mistake. That's that's never a good idea. I don't. I don't understand any – well, never I, – I know why they're doing it, but it's just so dumb. Like you said, he's literally a projected first-round pick. That's what an eight-figure payday, just like off the top. Just, he, he knows that if he doesn't get hurt, he's going to make eight figures within the next like five months. That's like guaranteed. Why, why would you risk playing against Ed, Bo Pelini's defense for that? They know what you're going to do against Bo Pelini's defense. You're fine. Take the rest of the year off. I would quit literally anything I am currently doing in life to preserve a seven or eight figure paycheck. And anyone else who acts like they wouldn't do the same is just a liar. And like, I just, I always sort of like what the, I know most people don't think this way and the internet camouflages all rationality. I was really just kind of amusing myself because I find the genuine headspace of the few people that do just amusing. And what other setting in, in the world is someone not participating in something to preserve generational wealth considered quitting? I, that just is wild to me. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that the uh, the gatekeepers of uh, the way that college football currently stands. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Um like if if we don't have some sort of serious top down overhaul, um, I, there's got to be some breaking point that we reach because I, I I don't find all of this sustainable. I don't know about y'all. Oh well, it, it, it's not sustainable. They tried to Northwestern tried to create a union, but then you know Pat Fitzgerald busted it. So you know <laughs> that's about as far as we'll get. Trevor Lawrence we, even tried to start a union. And- union Jack Fitzgerald. Oh yeah, the uh, I, I do want to give an update. Uh, the update from the dog pound, my my good septuagenarian friends on uh, via text message, and just going off this week that the uh, Vanderbilt is cowards because they bothered uh, canceling a game uh, on December nineteenth against the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, we uh, of course the the we had to make the uh, Sarah Fuller jokes in there. We had to have um, the Derek Mason jokes in here. I it 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 truly like just the insight into um, I mean like these are the people that we're kind of talking about. Like these are boosters of a lot of these institutions. These are the people that are like trying to relate and care because like these are the same text messages that are followed up by like detailed accounts of what is going on with all of these recruits. Like these are the, these are like, this is the message board culture that surrounds college football. Like the average person is going to be your, I don't know, middle-aged guy in the 30th per 20th percentile of wealth somewhere in the South that has far too much time on their hands and a little bit too much money. Look, if I'm Georgia and affiliated with the Georgia program, I'd be like, you know, wiping my brow, you know, breathing a sigh of relief that you avoided the Vanderbilt Commodores. Um, I mean, it, it is not a team that has been a guaranteed win over the past decade. I will no, tell you that. No, they have not been. So good for Georgia for, you know, dodging that bullet there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I've told everyone, just anyone taking any measure of precaution at all this year for anything, not even just this football season, but the calendar year 2020, that's fine. It's like if you don't want to do something, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's cool. There's a there's a pandemic that's, you know, ravaging the planet. So. Well, if if you want to take this one off, yeah, sure. I don't. And and, and to that point, uh, as the recruiting rankings have come out and you see that where sort of a school like LSU places, like I really do think, and and I'll get into uh, laughing at Florida in a little bit, um, but that I think it just kind of goes to show that this season was even faker than like we we have been able to to champion. I mean, sure, KP, you, you'll go care about the national championship and whatever, but I, I I truly do not think that anyone that is like operating with any sense of, I mean, basically, uh, like let Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and Bama like 
kick a can around and figure out who they want to crown like king of the rats or whatever. But I, I don't think that anyone is like out here saying, and especially like, I don't think recruits are out here. I don't think like media is out here saying like once September of 2021 comes around, I don't think we're going to think about this past season. Like I think it's down the memory hole forever. And to add on to both of y'all's points there, particularly KP's talking about like, people opting out in normal years and not to mention there's a global pandemic going on. The same guy who is tweeting you're a quitter for not playing the last game, I guarantee you spent all summer tweeting at whatever opt-outs they had before the season talking about how those guys are soft or quitters or whatever. And now you're going to tweet at the guy who actually stuck it out for the entire season but wants to bail on the last game just to preserve generational wealth. Like, what are you doing, man? Like I, that that headspace makes absolutely no sense to me. Like if there's anyone, like you got to admit that this year there was no fun. They couldn't go do anything. They couldn't go home to see their families. Hell, if there's anyone that should have had fun playing college football this year, it's Elijah Moore. He broke Ole Miss's catch record in eight games in a conference-only schedule. He was sick. I guarantee you there's part of him that would tell you that this really wasn't a whole hell of a lot of fun playing in front of no one and never getting to go home. But you're going to yell at that guy for not sticking it out for the last game late December that doesn't matter at all. See, and, and, and that brings up another good point to me. I truly think the only people enjoying this season are, A, the contenders, like you said, so Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame this year to a certain extent, like Texas A&M. But for everyone else, it's like, yeah, I'm sure Ole Miss enjoyed like the first year of the Kiffin era. And like you said, Elijah Moore broke all those records and Matt Corral really cemented himself as a premier national quarterback. But I mean, if you're like a backup defensive line or backup offensive lineman for Ole Miss, it's like, what's I, I mean, I'm sure like it was fun being around your teammates, but this could not have been like the most enjoyable experience you can imagine. You know, if you're like the nickelback for Vanderbilt, this must have been hell. I mean, <laughs> it must have been the most hellish, um, you know, four months of your life, at least of your football career. So, yeah, if you just want to take some time off, that's fine. The Pac-12 basically took the year off. They're just vibing up there, man. They, they had it right. There's like, look, empty stadiums. If you just want to opt out for whatever reason, go on, do it. We won't blame you. Just, you know, we're just having – we're going to do our own thing. We're having a good time. Uh, and we'll see you guys in 2021. Arizona State football finished one and two. Finished the season one and two. And you know who's okay with that? Arizona State football. We should. Absolutely. We, we rag on the Pac-12 for we rag on the Pac-12 for not caring, which you know they they still won't you know going on in the future as long as Larry Scott's there. But if any year was the year to not care, this was it. It's like, look, just keep your kids safe. Um, you know, we're going to minimize travel. Like the Colorado equipment truck, I don't know if you guys saw the tweet earlier today, it like drove halfway to Salt Lake City, right? Or wherever they were going. They just drove halfway to their destination and are just waiting on word, like whether or not they're going like, to play this game. See, that's the dumbest shit part, too. <laughs> I mean, like obviously the less interaction, the better. And so the ultimately the indecision by the Pac-12 probably ended up uh, like – limiting cases because i mean I, i'm still not praising the sec for being stalwart dumbasses about just burying their heads in the sand but like it really is impressive that like larry scott you did all of this like you were the one that was gonna say like we were gonna be the voice of reason and we were the ones that weren't gonna care and then you fucking couldn't stand everyone else outside playing and you were looking looking and and everyone else was having fun and well, I, I couldn't be fun. It didn't look fun. There was nobody in the sands. But then you did all of this to play fucking three games. Like Arizona State's playing three games. You're doing this like and, and again, I understand like you wanted like if you were the conference, it's more than one school's decision. But you're also doing this without like a real school that even has a fucking chance to make the playoff. Like, what are you doing? doing i think in a weird way this is better than you know in terms of safety it's almost better than you know what other conferences try to like the sec playing a 10 game schedule it is a miracle that they played what like 92 percent of their games or whatever that that literally is a miracle even when you consider i don't think it's a miracle because i don't think that we know everything (laughs) 
Or I just think that because obviously the we do know the investigative journalists in SEC towns are probably better than you know most major news corporations. So if there were like secret like you know major outbreaks, we probably would have heard about those more I like more quick. I can't wait for the 2024 Wright Thompson story about how Lane Kiffin's wife was seen kissing COVID into all the players' mouths before the season to get herd immunity up. Yeah, and but I just think in a weird way, the Pac-12 kind of bungling this was the safer thing because obviously they had the super truncated schedule, but Arizona State just only played in empty stadiums and they got like three really good scrimmages in. Like, And I think that's good for the growth of the team overall. That's better than just not playing anything. As long as you kept your guys safe and you contact trace and whatever, three really good scrimmages against live competition. That's kind of nice. Agree. I just struggle to give them credit when the intention was to actually play the season after they welched on their original decision not to play at all and thought playing a six-game truncated schedule with no bye weeks when every expert was predicting the pandemic would get worse as we got into the flu season like i think that discounts a lot of the credit they get but to your point yeah arizona state getting three scrimmages and in a year that doesn't matter and you weren't going to make the playoffs like hell yeah that's kind of awesome i just have trouble giving larry scott and the pac-12 credit because that was not their intent but the result ended up being okay oh i'm not crediting scott at all i'm just saying it's like oh it's nice how it turned out you know but that's not because of you (laughs) <laughs> it's good for I mean it's good for Arizona that they saw that Kevin Sumlin was a fucking fraud. <laughs> yeah, they only needed what four games to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I think, they I think they could have figured that out like I don't know, after Kenny Hill got hurt. But yeah, twenty fifteen was about the time they probably should have snuffed that out. <laughs> yeah. If we're gonna make this the COVID pity party podcast, like this is so much like in terms of like the world's problems with COVID, this is so far down on the list. But I made this argument on an Ole Miss podcast the other day. I feel for the Matt Corrals and the Kyle Trash and the Matt Jones and really the Devontae Smiths and go on down the line. We're in a normal year, a guy that Matt Corral, you know, overcoming the stupid dysfunction between uh, having to play for Rich Rodriguez and having this type of year. Like he was kind of robbed of playing in packed environments and having his segment on game day and all that. And to a lesser degree, it's the same thing, in my opinion, with Jones and Smith and Trask and all these other dudes because the interest has been so diluted and fragmented. You know what I mean? Like these kids were kind of robbed of your traditional year where they all get their Joe Burrow-type shine. And you know, for as much as they're robbed of with how screwed up this system is, that kind of doubly sucks. It's like Devontae Smith is – potentially going to be the first receiver to win the Heisman in like almost 30 years. And that's really cool. And he's a really interesting player to watch and to, at least from my perspective, to root for. And it's like, all right, cool. The most people he's played in front of all year is what, like, you know, 15,000, which is still way too many to have in one space for for any event in a pandemic. But it's like, yeah, I mean, this guy is going to go down as the best receiver in the history of a program that's had a lot of really good receivers and his senior year is just going to amount to almost nothing, you know, recognition wise. That kind of sucks. Him, him getting over him, getting overshadowed by all those other dudes last year is the biggest crime against humanity. Like everyone's acting like he came out of nowhere this year. Like he's finally getting his due. Go watch what he did to Ole Miss in 2019 in the first <laughs> two quarters of that game. He had like five catches for 230 and three touchdowns at halftime. He ended up with 11 grabs for 276 and five touchdowns and didn't play the fourth quarter. The dude's a fucking animal. That, I, became, are, I became no. very familiar with Devonta Smith's capabilities early in his Alabama career. That's yeah, we're all referencing you know the walk-off touchdown that he had to win the game at Mississippi State in 2017. Uh, I don't yeah. think – I don't think he had any other big catches that season. Correct. Go dogs. Um, but yeah, like you said, it, it really does suck because there's some really cool stuff happening around as there is with every year in college football. That's kind of the beauty of the sport. There's always something new, different, and weird happening, you know, elsewhere. Cincinnati is undefeated. In, in any other year, we'd be talking about them like ver- like 2020 Cincinnati or you know, 2011 or whatever, or 2009 Boise State, you know. 
2010 TCU or, you know, 2020 Coastal Carolina. We'd be having those discussions. Those are really cool and fun discussions. And, you know, only one of them is going to go to the New Year's Six, but Coastal would probably end up going to what, like the Camping World Bowl or something like that. And they'd play, and they'd probably boat race like the seventh place ACC team. And that's just, we're just kind of getting robbed of like the cool fringe nuance stuff in college football. And I think that's probably the thing, other than the 300,000 people dying, you know, around the country, I think that's the thing I'm most sad about <laughs> this season. Yeah, I realized today on Twitter that for like I couldn't tell you how long I I had I had hit a point where I was like I feel like I haven't gotten on Twitter and seen anything that's like happening in like a month and I realized that my entire feed was on most recent instead of top tweets um, and that's kind of felt like what this entire college football season has been where it's just like. All right, I'll pick up like bits and pieces of news as they roll in, but like I haven't been able to string together one single like narrative or storyline or like manage to keep up with like a team or anything like week to week to week. I mean, it, uh, I I am not going to remember goddamn anything from this season, I don't think. I remember being mad about uh, fucking Stetson Bennett. I'll say that. That's about it. Which sucks because it's just like KP said. Like there's some college football years that are more boring than others. And this one was like kind of littered with pretty cool storylines. It unfortunately just kind of got thrown by the wayside. Like Cincinnati is, I think, at least from eye test, is way better than that UCF team that made all that racket and all that shit. Like I I think – actually good they're fascinating there's so many other fascinating stories that we're just kind of robbed of yeah it's the this the Cincinnati thing is very very intriguing intriguing to me Cincinnati would literally be I think the fourth maybe fifth best team in the Big Ten this season I think like pretty easily too yeah they seem to uh uh, no, I, this could be just completely unfounded information, but they seem to recruit more consistently than UCF did. UCF seemed very flash in the pan. Luke Fickle, man, Mr. Ohio, was the best recruiter on staff for Urban Meyer and then just took the Cincinnati job. Not bad. They got a cool as hell stadium. I mean, Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati I've heard, is a cool city. Um, I mean, for a college town. I don't know. Yeah. For, uh, I really – I love the good people of Northern Kentucky. Very, yeah. very, very pleasant. Cincinnati, that city is amazing. Oh, Rip, you lived there, didn't you? I did. I did the whole ball of wax. I uh, I did the Reds thing. I went to the zoo where they shot that gorilla. I saw all of Cincinnati. It's a pretty cool city. So did you see the gorilla before he was dead? No, he was already gone. There was a very nice memorial Okay. Outside of the uh, the exhibit, um, I will say if we really want to get weird in this podcast, I think that whole thing was an inside job because when you start looking at how far the little child had fell supposedly and survived, really starts making you think about steel beams and nine eleven and jet fuel. I'm just saying. Yeah. Wait, hold on. How how far did the kid fall? Okay, so no one said that on the newscast, and then I get up <laughs> to look at the gorilla that lives there now, and I'm looking down in the water. You like, did your own research? Fucking shot this kid survived this fall. That's just my brain. I don't have any statistics to back that up. All I'm saying is there's no shot that kid survived that fall. What, Interesting. Man, okay, so before we wrap up, I do say we, we all have a weird and specific hatred for – the Alabama Polytechnic Institute. No, commoners will call them Auburn. Um, I, I think I think this coaching search has the chance to reach 2017 Tennessee levels. Um, but I will say this. Anthony Schwartz, over the course of this recording, tweeted three train emojis. Um, rip. Oh, yes. Rip, are you – are you okay? Do you need to? I mean, do you need to decompress a little bit? <laughs> I do not buy uh, Lane Kiffin going to Auburn after year one at Ole Miss. I just don't. I, maybe I'm proven wrong, but there's really when you kind of add everything up, does not make a ton of sense. Um, but at the same time, maybe that's also because I'm rooting for them to hire Kevin Steele because them paying Gus's buyout 
just and on top of everything else, just to hire the defensive coordinator, which apparently did y'all see that political reporters guy report today that this is like some three year long coup they've orchestrated that has now been blown up because half the fan base doesn't want steel. There was Bobby some- Louder, baby. <laughs> years in the making. And I was like, I want that. I don't even give it. I don't know anything about Kevin Steele. If this was planned out 600 plus days ago, I would like it to get to the finish line. That would, uh, that would absolutely rule to pay. I, I mean, we kind of saw LSU do it. <laughs> I mean, Bobby Louder is one of, and again, hate Auburn, but he is one of my favorite college football people ever. He got um, Terry Bowden the head coaching job after Pat Dye stepped down, and the only reason Terry Bowden got that job is because Bobby Louder went to him the night before, gave him the interview questions, and flew back with him to Auburn the day of the interview. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, 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 the lines blur between uh, national political parties and uh, head coaching college football searches is uh, pretty gray, I would say, at this point. <laughs> I will say this. If Bobby Louder is still alive, whoever he wants to be the coach is going to be the coach. If that's still Kevin Steele tomorrow, then it's going to be Kevin Steele. If it switches to Lane Kiffin, it's going to be Lane Kiffin. He's got a library named after him, if I'm not mistaken, on campus. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't understand. You get so much more slack at Ole Miss than you do at Auburn. I, don't, I just truly don't understand. How much, is, how much is Ole Miss paying Lane? Do you guys know? Off the top of my head, no, but it's between four and five. It's somewhere in that little neighborhood. It's got to be, but like once you get to that point, you go fucking find the money. Like, like I mean, you go find you go find eight million bucks between. Like, if you actually want to keep Lane, I will also add this. If, if there's one thing I know about watching what happened with the Matt Luke coaching search. And what happened with uh, Lane Kiffin's coaching search as well? The players, no offense, and it is not their fault at all, don't know shit until it's already actually happened. The players, unfortunately, are actually some of the last among the last to actually find out officially about who's actually leading their program. So that would be my defense to Anthony, Mr. Schwartz's train emojis. Oh, is that a player? Oh, that's um that receiver that's like literally got world class speed. Oh, that is uh about yeah the level of which I've paid attention to college football this season. Yeah. So, oh God, I, I I didn't realize how funny a good Auburn coaching search would be because when Gus got hired, it was pretty. I mean, there. <laughs> what's the what? What would Woj say? Um, Auburn is driving a Mack truck down Gus Malzahn Boulevard. <laughs> Auburn has its sights set on. Auburn has a laser on Gus Malzahn. Laser focused on. Has Has y'all's opinion on Gus changed at all? Because I never so like seeing the minutia of him on a game in and game out basis. It's kind of like I don't know if this guy's that good, but when you look at his entire body of work while the greatest coach in the history of college football is doing his thing and doesn't appear to be stopping anytime soon in his backyard, Gus has a national title appearance in two SEC West West crowns. And I get that they weren't good in the other years that that did not happen, but – like I keep like it seemed like the crusty sports writer point to make was like, are you going to do any better? And this is one of the rare times that I agree with it. They're paying a lot of money, and the odds that they find anyone that wins at a more consistent rate than Gus, I would say, are minuscule. The issue is Auburn, for their entire existence, has seen Alabama as their equal, and at times they have been, but it was really most consistent under Pat Dye, um, who actually like you know went toe-to-toe with Bama when Bama was actually pretty good and then most of Tuberville's career when Bama was in the shitter like you know in the early to mid 2000s um outside those two periods which I mean I think I just said only 18 years Auburn has not been Alabama's equal at all if you take that time frame out Alabama leads this series by like over 30 games it's not close uh the fact so the fact that Gus like you said beat Bama three times won the West no 
two or three times. I'm, I can't remember. I think it was only twice. Yeah, the fact that he did that. Um, 17. Yeah, okay. And then went to a national championship. That's about what Pat Dye did on average. <laughs> if Pat Dye got eight years or whatever, that's about what he would have done in the, <laughs> with that same frame. And they named the field after that, man. All right. So, yeah, the uh, – I he – like Nick Saban is the attractive girl – with I, I I don't like this already. No 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 no. <laughs> He's the attractive girl with that causes insecurity issues for her less attractive friends. There's nothing wrong with the less attractive friends, but there is a distortion of reality that is presented in the situation because as it currently stands, the amount of coaches that Nick Saban has gotten fired because the, those schools are not able to address the reality that Nick Saban is just going to continue winning SEC West and SEC championships. Um, it has caused coaches at Tennessee to get fired. It has caused coaches at Texas A&M to get fired. It has caused coaches at LSU and at Georgia and at Ole Miss and at Auburn. And so, like, there is just this uh, painful lack of self-awareness at all of these schools that uh, nothing is going to happen if Nick Saban plans on staying alive in coaching. And so Gus Malzahn was good enough for Auburn. I would be very, very shocked if Nick Saban stayed the coach for the next, call it seven years, and they won more consistently than they just won with Gus. I would be shocked. And I mean, the man responsible for the delusional mindset that KP was talking about, about being Alabama's equal, oddly enough, is it not Tommy Tuberville? Like, He's kind of the main reason for them to have that mindset, is it not? He's the guy ever since, granted, he, you know, tail into Saban or whatever, and it didn't end well at all. But there, his record against Alabama is really much the big body of evidence that you're talking about for that deluded mindset. And now he's sitting there talking about how, what, what did he say the other day? Oh, the, the United States won single handedly won World War II to save the world from socialism. Did y'all catch that? Who is this, Tommy Tuberville? Yeah, he yeah. said he said they were fighting socialism in uh, in World War Two. Which is like, yeah, Tommy, I I feel like your side was fighting socialism in I'm World War Two. I'm gonna light him on fire. I hate him so goddamn much. Oh man! Finds uh, out what happens after the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor. <laughs> no. Oh man, folks, we're gonna we're gonna leave you right there. Uh, thanks again for listening to Banjo CFB. Much appreciated. Uh, if you have any issues with anything we said on this podcast, um, please email compliance at olmis.edu. Uh, if not, then just please don't slander these young men or their families. You guys, uh, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm really excited for this content to only increase in football quality uh, as the off season comes. <laughs> I wanted an original copy of Hugh Freeze's email. <laughs>